Hey, good morning. Welcome to East Lake. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Brent, teaching pastor here. Uh, nine years ago this week, we started East Lake Tri City. So 10, 10, 10, October 10th of 2010. Uh, we met in high school for the four, first four and a half years, and then we moved here about five years ago. Um, so we just celebrated birthday this week, which is awesome. And here's what that also means um, nine years and about two months ago, we decided. We came up with the idea, hey, what if we planted a church, uh, which does not leave us a lot of time to be able to make that. We decided in, in uh, August that we were going to do this. In October, we held our first service. And so um, there's, uh, there's a lot of like hoops and steps that you jump through to kind of start a church. It's not, it's, you know, you got to file with the IRS. You got to uh, apply with the state. You got to find a space to, you know, meet and get all this stuff. And two months is typically um, not enough time to do any of those things, uh, but we didn't know what we were doing. So, uh, and then the other big piece of it was you're supposed to raise X amount of dollars um, because you're going to need to kind of get all those hoops jumped through, and, and that sometimes takes money. Um, and so we sent out random support letters and, and talked to friends and family and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we we, uh, we didn't raise anywhere close to what we thought we needed to do it, but we ended up pulling it off anyways. It doesn't matter. Looking back on it now, um, but in that time frame. Uh, we got a, uh, a, a big check from a church in San Diego called Eastlake Chula Vista, and uh, it was our single biggest donation from anybody. And, and Mike had never met me at this point, had only heard about me through the grapevine and some text messages from some friends or whatever. Um, and when we planted the church, we also, we took their name as well because um, he started, the, East, the community down there in San Diego is called Eastlake. That's why it's Eastlake Community Church down there, which, which that one makes sense. Then his son planted Eastlake in Bothell area, which is located on the east side of Lake Washington. So that sort of made sense. Uh, and then I took it over here. And when we started Eastlake, I didn't have any time to come up with a really cool, awesome name. So we just said, can we borrow the name? And they looked at me like, you know, there's no lake there, right? You know, it's a river, not a lake. It doesn't make any sense to do it. And it was purely a marketing, we want to steal branding and logo. We don't have time to come up with a logo. Can we just steal the name? Uh, and so they said, yes, go for it, I, I guess, if, if that's what you really want to do. Uh, thus, that's where Eastlake and all of, all of this has come from. So today, I want to say thanks for the name. Uh, thanks for the big giant check. And uh, thanks for being here today. Ladies and gentlemen, on our ninth birthday, uh, someone who is kind of the hub of all of this thing, Pastor Mike Meeks. I'm going to uh, use the suppository pad <laughs> here. It could be a little bigger for some of us, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi. It is great to be here. It only took me nine years to get an invitation to come. thought the check would mean that would happen quicker, but <laughs> apparently not. Uh, and, you know, here it is. And nine years into this thing, and it's my first time with you, maybe last. Uh, at my age, uh, you know, I buy stuff that I think, I probably won't need another one of these in my, my lifetime, what's left. And so being here and going, well, it might be my last time with you, is because it could be my last time in a lot of places at my age. I'm uh, married to... A, um, a woman who's older than me, so she could be here even less. Um, you never know. And so being here, I thought I, I wanted, you know, kind of do something, you know, 
the, you know, three happy hops to heaven, something, you know, that's going to be easy to take and, and, and decided on to talk about the political tensions in our country because everybody here is all, all on the same page and, you know, you all agree fully and are in lockstep with each other because it's a church. Um, and, uh, you know, no disagreements uh, and no tension. And, and so it'd be easy to take this on. And, and then looking at the political environment, I kind of think, what could I say that begin this to sort of you know, wrap it up? Here's, here's where we're at. And I came across a little thing by a guy named P.J. O'Rourke. He's a political satirist. He used to be the uh, editor of National Lampoon. He's super smart, super funny. But here, here's the way he wrapped it up. He said, the American political system is like a gigantic Mexican Christmas fiesta. Each political party is a huge piñata. A papier-mâché donkey or elephant, for example. The piñata is filled with full employment, low interest rates, affordable housing, comprehensive medical benefits, a balanced budget, and other goodies. The American voter is blindfolded and given a stick. The voter then swings the stick wildly in every direction, trying to hit a political candidate on the head and knock some sense into the silly bastard. <laughs> and and that, that word, by the way, is a biblical word. It can be found in Deuteronomy and several other places in Scripture. Um, our forefathers saw the potential problems with a two-party system. Uh, John Adams said that the two-party system is the greatest evil under our Constitution. Um, George Washington, in his farewell address, warned against an over-enthusiastic party spirit that could be divisive. And uh, so our forefathers saw this, and did they tell us what to do about it? No, they said it, and, and then they died, and they're gone, and left it to us. Thank you. Nice of you. Um, there's, a, there's a new word in the Urban Dictionary. It's called politicked off. I, I love that. It's the resulting anger from a two-party system that fails to serve any interest but their own. I'm politicked off. You know, like, like, like many others, we're, we're, we're constantly being pushed. You're being pushed all the time to one side. You've got to be over here, all the way over here on this side, or you've got to be all the way over here on this side. And it's just this constant pressure. And if by chance you're over here a little bit and you go, but you know, there's a couple of ideas over here. If you take any part, portion, or piece of the other side, you're a hater. You're a hater. And you can't take any of their side. You've got to be all in on our side, just Get over here. And so you're constantly being pushed. And so what I want to do today is I want to try and tell you who and what a Christian should vote for. No, I'm not going to do that, okay? But if you're thinking, oh, we're going to talk politics and it's a church, I know where this is going. No, no, no. I'm going to instead suggest a third option. Another way that if you're a Jesus follower, this is a Christ-like response to the political tension and division. And not, not this party or that party, but what, what would Jesus do? You know, how are we supposed to follow this? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is kind of a pullback behind the curtain. Here's kind of how we're supposed to do this. And so you can hold us accountable. So later, you can go, you know, that guy talked on Sunday, and you're not doing that. You're doing that. And so you can hold us accountable. So if you're not a Christ follower, this is kind of like take notes, because you're going to nail some people in the coming weeks, Okay. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun for you. If uh, you're taking notes, which I have no idea how you could do that in the dark, but uh, here's the first thing I want to look at. Here's the third way. Choose God's side. 
Choose God's side. Now, of course, both political parties are all saying they are God's anointed. Uh, but perhaps God views politics like a sporting event. I mean, does he really care who wins? Uh, I, it always cracks me up when you see people in there, you know, like before the team's together and they're going to pray, God, give us the win. It's like, I don't think he cares, you know, which one wins. And although it seems as though he has a preference when you look at the Patriots, and it's, it's very annoying, um, and we all hate them. So <laughs> I don't think he really cares which team wins because here's the thing about God. He loves all the participants on both teams. He loves everybody. And I want to look at, at a little piece of scripture where God's people were sort of asking God, are you on our team? Are you for us? And Joshua is uh, the new leader. Moses is out. Joshua's in, and they're about ready to take on their first battle, Jericho. He's out for a walk, and he bumps into this guy, and he, as soon as he sees him, he realizes this is not like a normal dude. This is someone from heaven. And so here it is in uh, Joshua 5. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. Here it is. The guy from heaven, neither. Not very encouraging at that point. You see, this is a, an encounter. What he finds out later is that this is a pre-Jesus incarnation of Jesus. There are several sections of Scripture where God shows up in bodily form before the birth of Christ. It's called a theophany. If you're like into the theological side of it, that's a big word, and I paid a lot of money to learn it, so you get to hear it. Um, so neither. He, he's got this, you know, wait a minute, there's, a, there's another perspective. In the, in the geopolitical world of this time, there's a different, higher perspective, and that's what he's bringing here. Because he's God. He's sovereign. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of liberals, and he's Lord of conservatives, and he is Lord of, of co communists, and he's Lord of anarchists, all the is, all of them, every tribe, nation, tongue, race, he's Lord of all. But today, um, our culture and media and some of your crazy relatives, they're all trying to push you to one side or the other. Constant push and pressure. Politics is, is defined this way. It's the theory and practice of government. Politics in and of itself is not bad. It's everywhere. You have politics on your job. You have politics uh, if you're in a homeowner's association. You have politics in your family. Someone is making the decision of here's the rules, here's how we spend the budget. That's politics. And so politics is simply uh, a way to live together. You know, we have 350 million people in, in the United States. And so there's got to be a way for us to, to live together, to try and, and get along. And, and that's why politics uh, is necessary. It's always been around. So what do you do with it? How, how do you handle it? Well, the, the, the next thing I want to show you is that Jesus separates church and state. He separates those two things. And it, it, the, the section of Scripture we're going to look at, it's in the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the crucifixion and resurrection. And he is in Jerusalem. And the day before this encounter we're going to look at, he had gone into the temple and cleansed the temple. He had turned over the money changers 
tables and he had grabbed a rope and just shooed them all out. He was cleaning all the thieves out of the, the, the temple. And then we, uh, we, we see this encounter because the enemies of Jesus, the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians, both wanted him out. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, Mark 12. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And then Jesus dropped the mic. It was like one of those, boom. It's a revolutionary statement. They got these two political uh, enemies, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they hated each other. Red state, blue state. It was liberal, conservative. These two groups hated each other. The Herodians were in allegiance with the Roman government. The Pharisees were in opposition to the Roman government. They both hated each other, but they had a common enemy now because Jesus was drawing people from each of their camps. So they both hated Jesus. So they, they thought this opportunity had presented itself to get rid of Jesus once and for all. So they asked the question, is it right to pay this tax or not? Should we or shouldn't we? Just give us a yes or no. And Jesus wouldn't cooperate. And he says this whole thing. Now there's a political backstory here that's important. Rome had levied a census tax. This had happened about 25 years before this encounter uh, that we just read. And this census tax was a tax for being alive. If, if you had a pulse, you had to pay this tax. And they hated this tax for really a, a, a number of different reasons, but two primarily. First, it was a symbol of Roman oppression. And, you know, why should I have to pay a tax? Because I'm alive in my own country. And you know, if you know what I mean, we've got several of them. Anyway, um, and, and one uh, denarius, one of these coins was about, a, for the common workers, one day's wages. So it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was entirely, completely offensive because of, one, I'm alive and I shouldn't have to pay you for it. But secondly, because this coin had um, the image of Tiberius, who was the emperor, and an inscription on the front, and then uh, an inscription and a picture on the back. And the, the front of it said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And on the other side it said, high priest. So the second commandment says, make no graven image to worship. So here's a graven image of a guy who's saying, I'm your God. The backside says, I'm your high priest. This ticked off the Jews. And this happened in 6 AD. So 25 years before this other encounter. And immediately there was a revolt. And a, the cry was, no tribute to Rome. No tribute to Rome. 25 years later, that cry is still being heard. It's still fresh in their minds. But there was this guy named Judas the Galilean. And he uh, stirred up this revolt, got an army together, and they go into Jerusalem and they 
cleanse the temple of all the foreigners. Now, Judas the Galilean is not like Judas, his disciple. It's a common name like Brent, you know, whatever, who cares? And it's just lots of them around. And, and so you've got this guy. And by the way, in my research, I did come up with a picture of Judas the Galilean. I thought you'd be interested. Um, maybe, maybe not. You decide. So anyway, um, did you see it? Let's see the picture. Judas the Galilean. Don't leave me hanging on a high five here. No? Not going to be there? Oh, it is. It's just not that funny. Okay. I got it. Um, I thought it was pretty funny, but apparently in Richland that doesn't sell. Uh, you guys are too pure to ever have seen Game of Thrones. Perfect. So you got Judas the Galilean, and now Jesus does a similar thing. Well, what did they do to Judas the Galilean? They captured the Romans, crushed him. He, he did his big thing, and then they crushed him. They crucified Judas and 2,000 of his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. As a, just a subtle reminder, don't forget to pay your tax. It was brutal. And so now what do we do? You've got Jesus, the Galilean, who shows up and cleanses the temple. And so they, they've got the question to trap him. The Herodians and the Pharisees got together on this idea. If he says to them, no, don't pay the tax. The Herodians run to the Romans and say, oh, we've got to stop this guy. It's another revolt in the making. Galilee is stirred up again. Now you've got this guy, Jesus. You've got to arrest him and kill him and all his followers, or we're going to have another revolt. If he says, no, don't, don't pay the tax, that's what they're going to do. If he says, yes, you've got to pay the tax, well, then the Pharisees go to the people and say he's a turncoat. He's just part of the Roman machine. We shouldn't have anything to do with him. So Either way he goes, each group goes, okay, you'll be on if he says this, you'll be on if he says this. They think they've got him. And Jesus says, you know, bring me the coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar's image is on the coin because Caesar literally owns the coin. It was minted out of his own personal wealth. And so it's his coin that they're using. So Jesus says, well, it's his coin. If, if he wants his coin back, give him his coin back. And then the second half of that statement, but give to God what is God's. It's revolutionary because no one had ever separated Caesar and God quite like that before. And so he has done a revolutionary thing here. Because in the ancient world, kings ruled by divine fiat. They, um, they said that their, their position, that their role, their title was given to them by the gods. And in some cases, they even claimed to be a god like Tiberius, his father before him, Augustus, uh, pharaohs. They, they, were, they were gods that were just living among people, right? No, but they, they sold it to the people so they could have full authority. So Jesus is, is saying, no, you, that's not how it works. These, these two are separate. Historian Rodney Stark said this, in ancient civilizations, the concept of a state church didn't really exist because people did not distinguish between them as two institutions, the church and the state, that was just all one thing. It was that group that rules. No difference between them. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not that. Worship and your ultimate allegiance, those belong to God. And, and more importantly, people don't belong to God. Or rather, don't, don't belong to Caesar. You know, you, your worship 
and your ultimate allegiance, that is for God, not for the state, not for the Caesar. And you, you see this concept plays out in our own constitution. These words of Jesus are continuing to echo through thousands of years. Human governments are not the final authority. God is. So what are we supposed to give to Caesar? A number of things. First of all, we're to pray. One of our responsibilities, if you're a Jesus follower, is to pray for your leaders. Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul said to his protege, Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for the people you like a lot. No. I, that would be easy. We can do that. No, to be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. He loves both teams. He loves all the participants. And he will even use governments to accomplish this goal. Paul told uh, the Christians to pray for an emperor who was hostile to their faith. So, so the lesson in this for all of us is we are to, as Jesus followers, we are to be praying for our leaders. And I don't mean a country song prayer. I pray that your brakes fail when you go down a hill, hot falls from the windowsill. No, not a country song prayer. And you go, I don't want a prayer for that leader. How do I pray? Well, Jesus helped us. He, he taught us how to pray. And one phrase in that is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you don't know what to pray, start there. Pray that. We see the same idea even in the Old Testament. Uh, in Jeremiah 29, he's echoing the, the words of God, and he, and he says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. They'd been taken to Babylon, and they, they desperately wanted out, and they're crying out to God, help us, help us. And he says, well, settle in, you know, make yourself at home, because you're going to be there about 70 years. And while you're there, I want you to be cooperative, and I want you to pray for the king, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He, he was, the, 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 the king of Babylon was evil. It was bad. But God had plans for that particular group. Why? He cared about all the participants, even the Babylonians. We see it when Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, and he gets on a ship instead. He, why? Well, because Jonah said, I know you're compassionate, and I don't want you to forgive them. Have you ever had someone in your life you didn't want forgiven? Yes, you all have. And if you can't think of anyone, it's probably you that somebody else is thinking of. Anyway, that's just a guess. Um, in the New Testament, Paul describes uh, Jesus' followers as aliens and strangers in their own country. That we are to see ourselves as part of another kingdom, the kingdom of God that supersedes every human kingdom. But we are not to just remove ourselves we are to be full participants here because we are ambassadors of another kingdom to bring to all the participants another way of looking at this, to bring to all the participants the, the, the revelation that God loves them and it wants to be actively involved in their life. 
That's our role. So we're to pray. And then we're to obey. You can read the whole chapter. I'll I'll pick a couple of verses. But in Romans chapter 13, uh, Paul goes to great length to talk to the Christians in Rome about how they are to conduct themselves. And that God will use the government of Rome in in a way to, to further his purposes. And that we're to submit to those governing authorities even when they're hostile to their faith. He makes it clear. There's no perfect government. There will never be a perfect government because every government has human beings in it. And so it'll always get jacked up somehow, some way. Now, the Apostle Peter echoes Paul's words in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And in the original Greek language that this is written, that last phrase means uh, literally translated Democrats and Republicans. I'm making some stuff up. But you'll be able to spot it. Um, we're to submit for the Lord's sake. That's part of a, our, our Christian citizenship. Mike goes out. But what if, the, what if the government authorities are wrong? What if they're trying to compel you to do something that runs against the deeply held convictions of your faith? What do you do then? Well, then we respectfully disobey. When uh, the apostles were telling everybody after the resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah. They were brought in to the Pharisees and told to shut up. Quit talking about Jesus. And here was their response. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. There will come times when you have to make that kind of a choice. So we pray, obey, and then we pay. And I'm, I'm talking taxes and some other important things. From Romans 13, it says, this is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Give what you owe. Pay your taxes. If you have a bill, pay your bills. Even though the guy on the radio says, you don't have to pay the credit card company back. We'll help you. You got to pay your bills. And then, more importantly, respect and honor. He goes on, and uh, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of, of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Wow. Show proper respect. To- yeah, okay, we're back. Um, <laughs> so much of our political discourse today is just filled with disrespect. It's one thing to disagree and say so. It's a whole other thing to mock, ridicule, belittle, and name call. We as Christ followers are not to be a part of that. So, you know, when you see those, don't hit like. You know, social media, uh, some great things. Some of you are really actively, you know, participating in uh, your posts on politics. And the good news, 
Lives are being changed by your posts. I mean, people are changing their minds all the time. You can see on their comments, because they go, man, I was on the other side of this thing until you said that. And now I'm, I'm fully on board. I'm with you. Thank you. That has happened a grand total of zero times for anyone ever on social media. <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> we owe... <laughs> this is, part of this is just my opinion, by the way, which are excellent. Um, <laughs> we owe every human being a measure of respect because they are created in the image of God. They have this stamp of God. And we don't have to agree, but we must disagree respectfully. And the next two on what we give Caesar, are, uh, I don't have any verses for them because there was no democratic republic when the Bible was written. Uh, so vote. Vote. That's one of the things we, we are to do as good citizens. In 2016, more than one-third of eligible voters didn't bother to vote. Didn't vote at all. And, and if you don't vote, shut up. Don't complain. You gave up your right to talk. And, and I've had you know, many conversations with people who say, well, I just am so disillusioned, I just disengage from the whole thing. That's not a badge of honor. That's just being irresponsible. That's being lazy. How do you like me so far? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's about social responsibility. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It's to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. So vote, first of all, intelligently. You know, do the research. Find out what that measure really means. Uh, find out what that candidate is really all about. Don't just grab, you know, your boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses, you know, ballot and just check the same boxes because you don't want to think about it. Vote intelligently. Do the work. And then vote your convictions. Let the Holy Spirit help you see how this could impact your faith. And vote your convictions. And then if you're from Chicago, of course, you vote early and often. <laughs> you don't even have to be alive. Um, and then finally, speak up. Speak up. If it, I'm certainly arguing for civility and for respect and for love of neighbor. Uh, that's for certain. But I am not arguing for silence. You need to speak up. But we have an obligation to speak up respectfully. And so I want to give you just three ways uh, how you can have a political conversation with someone without going to war. And some of you really need to write these down because you love to go to war on political conversations. So just listen. Number one, don't assume the worst in them and the best in you. Don't assume the worst in them and the best in you. I doubt very much, that they voted for their candidate for the exact same reasons you didn't. I hate that about that candidate. And therefore, you love that about that candidate, and so I hate you. Secondly, listen deeply for the personal stories behind the political passion. When we begin to listen deeply why they're voting the way they're voting, you're going you're gonna to find that there's, there's often pain, hurt, injustice that are really behind. They have their own story. 
And the amazing thing is when you actually listen to someone and listen deeply, you're drawn together. You're drawn together. And we've got to figure out how to do this. And then third, you can do those first two if you acknowledge that God loves you both. He is in love with all the participants, both teams, all sides. Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord of of me, then he needs to be Lord of my politics as well and my political discussion. So give to Caesar what Caesar's. And then what are we supposed to give to God? How are we supposed to do that? Well, first of all, surrender. We begin with surrender. Give to God what's God's. What belongs to God, you do. In the same way that that coin had Caesar's imprint, we have the imprint of God on us, and we belong to him. But he doesn't make us come to him. That's a choice of surrender. We bear the image of God, and we belong to him. Remember Joshua comes up to the guy with the sword, you force or against us. Here's the next verse. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And, and here's why we know it's a theophany, because whenever uh, someone saw an angel and they fell down to worship, the angel would say, don't worship me. I'm, I'm just a servant of God. But in this case, he not only says to him, you know, this great message that follows, but he actually said to him later, uh, in the next verse, he said, take your shoes off, this is holy ground. Same thing he said to Moses at a burning bush. This is God. And so Joshua is no longer asking, are you on our team? Are you going to help fulfill our plan? He's saying, what's your message to me? What's your plan? How do I cooperate with what you're up to in this world, in this time, in this place? And he worships him. And everyone is going to give themselves to something. You know, you're going to have passions in your life, and you're going to give yourself fully. People give themselves to all kinds of stuff. I mean, you may be passionate about raising worms. You have excellent worms. They're super worms. And that's fantastic. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but... Uh, but what we are to do is first give ourselves to God and then let him direct our passions for his purposes. You've got to surrender. And then love everyone, even those you disagree with. Love everyone. Even your crazy Uncle Jim, everyone has a... If you're, by the way, here, you're Jim and you're an uncle, I'm sorry, I just made it up. <laughs> but everyone has that uncle who can't get two sentences out without trying to push you to his political side. And you're to love everyone. And Paul said that uh, I have a debt I owe to every man, woman, and child. And it's a debt of love. Because of what Jesus has done in me and for me, I have this debt of love as an ambassador of Christ who loves all the participants. I owe that debt of love. Love everyone. In, in Romans 13, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. If you don't know what else to do in a situation, what would love do at this time, in this conversation, in this place? Which leads to the last one, 
pursue peace. In all of our encounters, in all of our relationships, even when you're driving and that guy cuts you off, pursue peace. Not your peace, but peace. (laughs) Sermon on the Mount again. Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Making peace takes work. In any peace negotiation, you have to give something up. And, And that's on us first. We make the first move in peace as Christ followers. Politicism is is dividing our nation. It's dividing uh, communities. It's dividing families. In in my own family, and my wife Carmen and I, in our extended family, we've had some really heated political conversations. I mean, really heated. And um, so Carmen and I decided we needed to to pull back and, and rethink our strategy because, well, Carmen told me I need to pull back because my opinions are excellent um, and true and God-ordained. Um, but sometimes I might need to back off. So my wife has uh, encouraged me that we might want to take a new tack. And she used scripture against me to make her point. Uh, that I'm using today to, to do to you. Um, and, and we actually ended up having some conversations with some family members and just say, you know, we're, we're probably not going to agree in the short term here on this subject, but we care more about you than you agreeing with us. And so let's just decide that that's, that's just, let's, Let's draw a boundary and not have that conversation again. Let's just decide the horse is dead. Let's dismount. Let's not go there anymore. And it has really helped. And, you know, they agreed as well. You know, hey, yeah, let's not let this divide us as a family anymore, which it had been doing. So here's my question for you. Heart check time. Has this whole political thing gotten, you know, with with the push of, you know, media, culture, and your crazy relatives, has it it begun to allow some anger and bitterness into your heart? Have you you taken on all their offenses? That's That's not your primary role. You're an ambassador of another kingdom. We're to make peace. We begin with surrender. And love. So I want to I do something in just a moment, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you don't know the people you're around, you might want to put your purse on your lap. But uh, uh, I want you to kind of go in and think about this, with just with everybody's eyes closed right now. How are you doing on this whole political conversation? That's stressful, can be hurtful. Have you allowed a, a root of anger, bitterness to creep into your heart. Jesus, we surrender that to you. Help us, Lord, to um, live as ambassadors of your love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to, to love participants of all sides, even and especially the ones we don't really like or agree with. Help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.